uh, it's good to see you guys. Um, sorry for the chaos this morning. How many of you guys found yourself standing at the front gate? And, uh, you go to some churches, they tell you that's the way heaven is. The gate's locked. You've got to have permission to get in. Um, but no, I'm, I'm joking. We're, uh, you can tell we're short on volunteers. And there are just a lot of ways that because of the pandemic and the ways that things have gone the last 18 months that there's just a lot of things we're out of rhythm on. And so I will use today as an invitation to say, um, obviously, uh, we need somebody that knows how to work a lock. Um, and uh, so if you can do that and you want to volunteer uh, once or twice a month to just unlock doors, um, there's a simple ministry for you. Uh, for those of you online, um, I don't think you were locked out. If that's the case, call Comcast. Um, <laughs> But um, just, uh, it's a joy to be together with you guys. Uh, there's, there's, there's a seriousness and a joy that sometimes seem to conflict, if I could put it that way. Because I want us to have fun following Jesus, but sometimes following Jesus hits us. Um, it, it can be uncomfortable. At least it should be if his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are better than our ways. Then at some point, our ways will bump up against Jesus' ways and then we've got a conflict and we've got to learn how to solve it. And so um, let, me, let me start with a couple of things just to kind of help us ease into this. Because September is notoriously in the gallery family. We don't have many traditions, but one of the traditions that we do have is that we use September to renew our commitments to one another. Many churches call it church membership. We say it's a church covenant. And so sometimes we compromise to help people understand it's a member covenant. Um, So that we, if you go through the essentials class, which will be offered here in just a couple of weeks, you'll understand why we choose the language. But we annually commit ourselves to one another to say, let's make sure together that we follow his will and his ways. And if we have conflict, we'll resolve it. If we have service, we serve. If there's ways to care, we care. We help each other follow Jesus. And so you'll be hearing more about that throughout the month of ways that we can publicly make a covenant to one another so that we can identify those who really do want to walk the ways of Jesus out with us together. And so whether you're online or you're here in person, we do have notes for today's teaching in our app. If you haven't downloaded our um, app, I encourage you to do that. We have it on several different platforms or stores that you can go to to download all of that stuff. And and I want to encourage you, we are, are going to be in many ways kind of forcing ourselves, if possible, towards more of this technology to help us stay connected um, so that people aren't locked out. Uh, although it was funny walking off the stage over at Patterson teaching this morning and seeing my phone blowing up from all of you that have my phone number saying, is there church this morning? Um, and I'm like, I wonder what's going on. And then I scroll and I see my wife is one of them. <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, well, great. All right. You did not. Um, you were just letting me know that the gate was locked. And uh, so we... Maybe we should just make copies of the key and just let everybody have one. <laughs> that way, it's just, there's never a question. If it's locked, just help yourself, all right? All right, so um, let me just welcome you guys to five weeks where we're just going to talk about Jesus. Now, I'll just say this, 52 weeks out of the year, we talk about Jesus. But this series is for us to just 
think about Jesus. This five-week series is going to, to help, is designed for us to understand the basics of what many historians call the most influential and most interesting man in all the world. That's Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, if, we're, if there's any complete confusion. So today we're going to begin by answering the question, when did Jesus live? And with that, we're looking at the historical backdrop to Jesus and why his message and mission were so radical back then and, and what will happen to us if we follow his ways today. All right. So the series, five, five Sundays, five teachings. I mentioned today we're going to be focusing on when did Jesus live. Next week, we're going to be focusing on where do we go to learn about Jesus. The next week, we're going to talk about why or what did Jesus teach. And then the, thir- the fourth is why did Jesus die? And then the fifth is who was Jesus? So we're going to cover the when, where, why, what. I said that backwards. When, where, what, why, and who. There's an actual term for that when you cover those questions. What's it called? Somebody say, I don't know. I, I, it, I heard it from a teacher one time. Obviously, it didn't stick. Um, but uh, so we're going to cover those questions because it's so important that we learn to follow Jesus today. And I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally seated with you today. This is an intentional act for me because this is the posture that I want us to have for this teaching and this discussion because I want us to ask questions. I want us to engage in this together. So if you have the church email address or you want to use Facebook messaging, however you want to come about, I want you to send in your questions throughout the week or even to now, something hits you, come write it down. And I know some of you are really good at that and I am giving you permission to be good at that. We'll do our best to answer as many questions as we possibly can because I believe this. Um, Albert Einstein once was asked in an interview about Jesus in a Time magazine interview. And this is what he said. I am a Jew. Some of you are like, I didn't know that. But Albert Einstein was a Jew. He says, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. He goes on to say, his personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. That's what Albert Einstein said in a Time Magazine interview. Um, Maya um, Angelou, who was an American poet and civil rights activist, she said, I believe Jesus Christ was the most courageous of persons because he dared to love. Uh, Dr. James Allen Francis in 1926 said this about Jesus. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, All the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And then Jesus, starting his ministry according to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, which is our text for today, Jesus says, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. I believe that this is the fantastic opening statement. So I'm going to spend the majority of my teaching today on the kingdom and a portion of my teaching today on repent and believe. And we're going to spend more time on repent and believe throughout the rest of this. But my, my starting question is this. What made Christianity so not like Jesus? I really think that's a great place for us to start. 
Because I think what we're going to find as we go over these next several weeks is we're going to be like, wait a minute, that's not how the world views Christianity. That's not the way that Christians generally act and move around in the world. Judgmental, violent in actions and attitudes. Um, And so if Jesus is the center of Christianity, we should act like Jesus. And we shouldn't just have a vocabulary or verses of Jesus but there should be a, a, an imitation, a mimicking of Christ. And so if Christians in times past have followed after Jesus and they've been judgmental and violent, if Christians, again, they're human beings. They have hearts, soul, mind, strength like us. They have the same skin tones as us. They have the same educational exposure as us. They've had all of the benefits that we've had, and yet they've chosen to act in a way that Christianity has developed a reputation. Let me ask us, are we any different? Are we above the temptation that if if we take our eyes off of Jesus, that we'll start looking like something else other than Jesus? But yet come to church and read the Bible, maybe even sing some songs. But when people see our life or the closest people in proximity to us would be like, whoa, if I had to define Jesus based upon what I see in you, I wouldn't use words like selfless. I would say selfish, right? And so we're no better. And I want us to admit together that we're really no better than generations in the past. And the danger for them was taking their eyes off Jesus and then practicing his ways. And it's the same danger for us. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we stop practicing his ways. We get into real trouble. And so for those of you that are Christians here, which I'm assuming that most of you are. I know many of you in the room um, and probably online. The, this is probably the last time I'm going to solely address those of you that believe. Because the point of the series is for us to get to the end, which was the repent and believe part. But my challenge to you as followers of Jesus is, is that you've got to get comfortable talking to people about Jesus. You have to get to the place where you know how to tell people the story of God through Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that with the posture of conversation, the answering and the probing of questions, that you can begin to feel more and more comfortable talking about Jesus with the people that are closest to you and where you can understand them and they understand you and you understand how to tell the story of Jesus in a way that people are like, I didn't know Christians believed that. And we're finding ourselves centered on Jesus Christ. So the majority of you watching online now or later or those of us in this room, you're going to hear me talking in a way that's like, wow, I know that. I know that. This is basic. This isn't basic. Because in this series, I'm making no assumptions about what you know. All right. I want you guys to hear that because I don't want you to make assumptions about what people know. And I know we have some people in here that are artists. And one of the best things sometimes you can do is just start with a clean canvas and then start your drawing. I just want you guys to know that's what I really want us to do. And so my prayer is, is Lord, just take what we know and remove what's not true and let us hold on to what is true. It's like uh, we need we need that in our time together. So let me start. None of that was the start. That was all pre. So this, so if you're counting how length of my sermon that now starts now. All right. The rest of that doesn't count. So the most interesting man in the world. I want you guys to hear this. The most interesting man in the world. By his name, Jesus Christ, 
billions of people will curse today. By his name, today, billions of people will pray. So what makes Jesus so interesting, so offensive, and or attractive to so many people? What makes people that don't even believe in him as Lord and Savior use his name in their sentences? How has it become so that so many people say the name of Jesus? Billions of people today, whether through cursing or prayer, are going to say his name out loud. Um, People around the globe have come up with ways of talking about Jesus. And many religions around the world have come up with ways of trying to categorize him. And other religions don't really know him, but they have categories for people like him. And so he is an avatar to the Hindus. He is an enlightened one to Buddhists. He is a rabbi and a reformer to Jewish people. He is the son of God to Christians. And I didn't get any response. All right, come on. We got to practice this. All right, on the, on the count of three, we're going to say son of God. All right, one, two, three. All right, all of you online, we want to hear you say one, two, three. All right, sorry. All right, so son of God, all right? I want you guys, like we've got to redevelop our conversational aspect in our congregation. Like I know we have to stay separate. I know we're wearing masks. I know there's so many aspects of this, but we're a family and family figures it out through pandemics. And, and some of you in here have gone a week or more and you've not been touched in a loving way from a brother or sister. And, and we need to develop that inside of this. So that was to Christians. And I'm sorry, I said I was only going to talk to those of you that don't believe. And so let me get back to that. So to Christians, he's the son of God. Amen. All right. Thank you, honey. All right. Um, to a secularist, he's a wise teacher. To historians, he's, and I mentioned this earlier, he's the most interesting man in the world. And here's my favorite. He's friends to sinners. This is how he's known. Around the globe today, when people mention his name, they'll probably fall into one of those categories. But there is something about Jesus that lovingly welcomes you and I by saying warmly, start here. Start with me. That's Jesus's posture to anybody listening to my voice, whether it's on September 25th or any day moving forward in these recorded fashions. He is saying to us, start with me. So for Jesus, over these next five weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about him. And I mentioned this earlier, and I I want to be slightly redundant. If you have a question about Jesus, please write it down and get it to us. You can hand it to me on Sunday. We're going to take a few minutes here at the end to ask some questions in this space. But we're going to be taking the time as much as we can set out throughout the week. You can even look me up online through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's not hard to find Ellis Prince. Um, If you want to send me a message, I don't normally use those platforms. But for this series, I want to answer questions about Jesus and how that impacts us. So this is really good news. Jesus starting out in Mark by saying the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. This is really good news. And if it doesn't feel like really good news to you by the end of this series, I hope that it is 
Because if we truly measure out who Jesus was, it is really good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. So in your notes, you'll find that I don't use a lot of references in this particular teaching, but you can go into the Bible. You can open up Mark 9. You can open up Mark 10, Matthew 8, Matthew 10, Matthew 13, Matthew um, later in Matthew 13, Luke chapter 4, John 3, John 18, and it is all Jesus's words about what I'm talking about today. And so we'll come back to some of these texts throughout the, the series, but you must put some effort into it if you're going to get what I hope out of it. If you put nothing in, I promise you, you won't move very far by the time we get to October. And I, I'm encouraging you, walk with me, talk with me. Let's ask questions. Let's engage as we go through this. And so when Jesus says the word kingdom, what would it have meant to the people in his generation? Like, I don't want us thinking about our generation of kingdom and what we think about in regards to kingdoms. It does impact us, but what would a first century, because Jesus most likely was walking the earth between what we would now call 4 BC and the year 30 AD, because they got the calendar off by a little bit, but Jesus was born slightly before the death of Herod. And so the calendar is slightly off of that. So by three or four years, so it's arguable, but I, I'm not, I make mistakes. I'm not going to hold the calendar people. I just want them to get away with the time change, right? So um, with that, um, I want you guys to understand in that first 30 years of the first century, kingdom meant a lot because there generally was one kingdom over the known world, especially east of India. Um, our Asian nations were generally not under the control because most of the Mediterranean powers did not climb the mountains to get to Asia. They'd stop at a certain point, and then they would try to make their way to North Africa, and they tried to make their way across Europe. So there were some natural land boundaries to people that were living at this time that were not being touched by the word kingdom, but yet there were kingdom involvements in those cultures. So they are very relevant. So the good news of Jesus was getting to all the places where kingdom was very relevant. And so when Jesus says kingdom, he is living in a world where somebody was in power and saying, my will and my way holds control. That's what first century Israel was all about because Israel was so strategic. Rome was saying it is our will and way. But they needed the grain in Egypt. And so they worked out a deal with Egypt. And the only way to get the grain to feed their world empire was to travel through Israel. And so Rome put an immense amount of soldiers in and around Israel so that the highway of getting the grain to feed the nation was protected. And so the people of Israel were underneath of that type of kingdom power and control. Rome wanted to control the world. They wanted to show the economy. They wanted to mask it with their religious beliefs. And so when Jesus came out talking to them, they knew about the imposing of one's will on groups of people. And then Jesus says, in understanding of this, in time, that one will and that one way is going to be described by Jesus as saying, there's another kingdom coming. It's come near. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming to tell you about another kingdom. So he's using the control of the world by saying, you know what? There's another kingdom coming. It's very close. And that kingdom is of pure love. We're going to find out about that more in the next couple of weeks 
where who Jesus calls as his father and our father, he has a will and he has a way that holds control over his kingdom and his people and how they live and how they act. But it is known by the character of love. And so in Jesus's time, there would have been this culmination of an idea coming together in Jesus. So I had Albert build out a graph or a chart for us or pictures, however uh, you want to call this old Atari throwback, so that you and I could see what the people in the first century would have known. And, And so let me introduce the first graphic to you talking about starting in Genesis and going to Abraham. Because in this particular graph, you're going to find that there was a consensus that God had created life. And God was behind every human being, and he empowered humans in his image to be in his will and in his way. And he wanted us to walk with him in the cool of the garden. He wanted us to have interactions with his creation. He wanted us to have interactions with everything that he called good until sin entered into it. And then once sin entered into it, it all just got messed up. And then we find in the story of Genesis how the people of the, the created beings were in turmoil. And God came to a specific family, a specific man and said, Abraham, I want to take your offspring and multiply it so that you would be a great family, right? No. He said, I'm going to make your family a blessings to all of the world. So even through Abraham, God was looking for a partner that would display his pure love to all the nations. And so you can't go very far into the story where you begin to see that Abraham and his family had moments of great triumph, moments of defeat, but somewhere along the way, their eyes got off of their divine family origin and their eyes got off of their divine family mission, which could be argued in Exodus as being salt and light in the world. And then we begin to see all these other kingdoms start to appear. And so if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that once Israel got off mission and when they got, they lost their divine purpose, all of these other um, superpowers, so to speak, began to take over in the world. And so it started out in Egypt. You know, the story of Joseph, it started, it went from there into the Assyrians and into the Babylonians and to the Persians and to the Greeks, all the way to the time of Jesus in Rome. So these are all kingdoms that people would have thought of when Jesus talked about there are kingdoms in the world and they want their will and their way to have control over you. And because Israel got so off mission, some of these superpowers, some of these kingdoms were holding them captivity in their own land and other kingdoms decided to take them out of their land altogether. And so these, 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 these groups became to the Jews. Well, there's the Jews and then there's the Gentiles and these are all Gentile kingdoms and it's all moving towards Christ. So the Jewish people set up all of this stuff to help them keep their identity and, and keep their focus on God and to keep their beliefs in place in the midst of all of this kingdom conflict. And so to them, they thought they were a separate group apart from all the rest of the world. And so much like a good pastor, you always have to get the, the sermons great when all the points have the first letter of the same. And, and so here is my best effort. It's Torah, tradition, tribe, territory, and people. 
So the Torah to them was their scriptures. These were the words that Moses gave to them. We know them as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy had huge impact on them as this love letter from Moses to them. And so they held this Torah and they, they made it their life. And then their traditions that they set up, they had festivals that happened throughout the entire year that helped them to think back on Torah, to think back on their God. And then they took pride in being tribes. There's 12 specific tribes and they held to those tribes and they wanted those tribes to be um, honored. And and, And sometimes those tribes actually started fighting with each other about who was most important and who had higher blessings. And so then they set up this idea of territory where land became very important to them. And if they weren't in that land and at that place and in that time and in that location, that God's favor just couldn't be on them. And that's why the the kingdoms that took them out of the land were some of the darkest scriptures in the Old Testament. And then the temple, the temple became this place for them, this place inside of their midst where the presence of God was, even though they were at many times in their history setting up idols outside, but they were trying to still pay homage to their God. And so they had this Torah, this tradition, this tribe, this territory, and these people in this, in the, in this temple where they would begin to go and to worship. So when Jesus is talking to them about kingdom, they understood the history of kingdoms. They understood how they've been trying to hold their Jewish life together. And Jesus is now coming saying, I am coming to be the one Lord over one kingdom. And by the way, the Romans are included. And all of these religious traditions and all that are now going to be coming under my authority. And so let me talk to you just briefly then about who was the religious authority. In the United States, there are so many denominations. It's almost too much to count. There's like 19 Presbyterian denominations now. There's over 140 Baptist denominations now. And then you just throw in the Methodists, the Pentecostals, um, the Anglicans, the Lutherans, the Methodists. I mean, we could literally go on and on for hours about the ways we've divided our fellowship of Jesus Christ amongst the ways that we keep looking for ways to not be unified. Many of us don't realize that in Jesus's day, when he's saying the kingdom of God is coming near, repent and believe, there were five major denominations in the Jewish tradition. And so I think it's important for us to look at this because for those of you that don't yet believe in Jesus, I think you might think this is a list of ways to describe Christians. So the first is the Herodians. Politics is power to a Herodian. Some of you right now are already starting to think of people you see on television all the time that are Christian leaders and getting in bed, so to speak, with political power because politics is the way that Jesus or that the kingdom is spread across the world. And Jesus said to the Herodians, and we'll find this out in the Gospels over the next four Sundays. He says, I want you to exchange your love of power for the power of love. Who sang that song, The Power of Love? that Aretha Franklin? No? That's probably the only good lyric in that whole song, and I probably just associated it with something that's probably going way down the tubes, but I'm not good with music. I don't know why I went there, but I just had the power of love in my mind. So, um, but Jesus is saying to these Herodians, you want power. You want power, but I'm coming to tell you that in the kingdom that I'm the Lord over, the best use of power is love. 
And then to the Essenes. So you have the Herodians and you have the Essenes. And then there's some of us in this room that we might actually feel most comfortable with the Essenes. Because to the Essenes, everything was about retreat and keeping your head down. You would always find them off in a corner. You would always find them in a quiet space. You would always find them out of view. And Jesus says to them in the Gospels, I want you to be salt and light in the world. That means you have to touch something outside of your corner. You need to let your light shine out from underneath your bushel. The zealots, the third, the Herodians, the Essenes, and the zealots, the zealots fight for justice, literally. Why do you think Peter had a sword in his robe in the garden? His tradition was probably bent towards being a zealot. He was ready to fight at any time against the power of the kingdom of Rome. And so the zealots, they wanted to have an army. And if you look at the year 60, and Josephus talking about when Rome came and really destroyed Jerusalem, it was the zealots fighting against the Rome that just brought this fury on the rest of the people. So this one religious sect brought the religion, like the power of Rome down and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. So Jesus says to the zealots, peace is the way. We fight through peace. We stand against injustice, but we fight injustice with peace. We'll find two. So we have the Rhodians, the Essenes, the Zealots, and then it's the Sadducees. They were the temple, the priests, the sacrifices. That's what was valuable to them. Everything in the temple had to be polished and perfect. Everything about who they were as priests had to be perfect. Everything about their sacrifices had to be perfect. And we'll find in the Gospels that Jesus says to the Sadducees, oh, by the way, there's a new covenant and you're out of job. Because it's the end of religion. In the kingdom of God is the end of organized religion. It's life following after Jesus. It's following after me. We're going to find him saying that to the Sadducees. And then the Pharisees, the most popular ones, right? You don't even have to go to church probably to know the phrase, don't be a Pharisee, right? Even people that use Jesus' name as a curse word probably have said to somebody, oh, don't be a Pharisee, right? It's just, it's become common language for so many people. But to be honest, the Pharisees probably were the closest to getting it. Probably the closest of, of being so close to wanting to follow Jesus. That's why I think they, they were the most antagonistic bunch many times around Jesus is because they knew he was so close, but they were just like, why are you not just, just come to our way? And he's like, no, you need to follow my way. But the Pharisees were the follow the Bible people. Follow Torah. Follow the words of Moses. And Jesus was saying to them, uh, follow me. Now, this is, this, you understand, this is why they wanted to kill him. He was saying to them, follow me, don't follow Moses. That's literally what Jesus was saying to them. Follow me and you will discover what Moses was talking about. And it's so important that when you find out in this series, the Bible is necessary for us to understand Jesus. Like that's the best source on understanding who Jesus is. But when the Bible becomes more important than Jesus, the religion becomes not Jesus. And then you can find out why so many people going all the way back to the year 380 used psalms that David wrote or Samuel and the stories of war and David's wars to say it's okay for Christians to kill other people because we're doing it for kingdom. Even in the last 20 years since 9-11, many of our leaders have actually stood up and used scripture to talk about the ways that we go to war. 
many, even in the last 10 days, we had a president, our current president, stand up and use scripture in memory of the Marines killed out of context. Because it, it sounds great. Who will go and fight for us? Here am I, send me. It has nothing to do with what Isaiah was talking about. But yet it sounds great in a speech and therefore Christianity gets lumped into violence. And you kill me, I'm going to kill you back. And so we've lost our identity because we don't follow Jesus. We follow the words of the Bible. And we've got to be very careful that in following Jesus, we learn how to use the Bible for his will and his way. So some important takeaways from the Herodians, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, which are a mouthful. So here's some takeaways. To the Herodians, the kingdom of God comes through political power. To the Essenes, the kingdom of God comes in the corner over here. Let me, just, let, me, let me just seclude myself from the world and the kingdom of God will meet me there. I, let me just tell you guys this personally. I've benefited from silent retreats, but that's not where I'm supposed to live. Like, even Jesus walked out the back door in several of the Mark passages because the people were crowding the front door. So there are times that we need to retreat and I look forward to you discovering that with me. But we were never meant to just be all to ourselves. Well, this is my faith. God's going to come, and I just need to be by myself. The zealots, the kingdom of God, comes through the fight for justice. We've seen this in human history, and it doesn't work. One of the Old Testament characters that thought this was the best way um, is a ludicrous story in the Samson life. I mean, Samson was like, I'm going to kill 10 of yours. They come and try to hurt me. I'll kill 100 of yours, 500, 1,000. And it was just vicious, vicious cycle of violence, pointless violence. And have we really learned much from that? The Sadducees, the kingdom of God comes through religious ritual. The Pharisees, the kingdom of God comes through biblical obedience. But Jesus says to all of them, God's kingdom comes through a new movement of people from every nation and every background who love each other as a family and who support each other to live in sync with God's will and God's way. This is how God wants to change the world. So the Pharisees actually in the Mishnah, which is one of the Pharisees' sacred writings, sort of like we would have Paul writing a letter to the Romans, we would hold that sacred. The Pharisees wrote letters that they now hold sacred, and the Mishnah is one of them. In the Mishnah, this is what it's quoted as saying. If Israel were to keep two Sabbaths, which basically means if they were to follow all of the Torah just for two weeks, everybody, everyone in the nation, two weeks commitment, we can all do this. Like imagine being in a church led by a Pharisee in the first century. Listen, guys, if we can just get the whole nation for 14 days, it's 14 days of prayer and fasting. Like we are 14 days. If we just do it for 14 days, this is their quote. If we keep two Sabbaths according to the rules, they would immediately be redeemed. Like Rome would go away. They would become the people that God had promised Abraham they would be. And in their interpretation of that, it would be their will and their way controlling the world. If we just had two weeks of undivided obedience to Yahweh. That's how, the, that, that's when, so when Jesus steps in, and he says that my king, the kingdom of God is coming near. There was a rich mindset of kingdom in the first century. They actually, religious leaders were using it of talking about steps in obedience that would bring what they wanted, 
But yet what they wanted wasn't lining up with what God wanted. And so Jesus' response to the Pharisees in Luke 17, when he's asked by them when the kingdom of God would come, here's Jesus' response. The kingdom of God is something that can be observed. Excuse me is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, midst, in my opinion, is a weak English translation. And and sometimes it's unfortunate. And I can see where Christianity has gotten so off because our English words aren't as descriptive of other words around the world. Other languages and cultures have deeper and more specific words to describe specific things. And this word midst really needs to be honed in stronger to being like this is in you. But then there's the problem with the English word you, because you should be plural, but most of the time we take it as singular. And so we'll read Jesus's words and say, it's got to be in me. No, it's got to be in you, us, them, community, family. It's not meant to be in isolation. It's meant to be a plural thing. And so when Jesus is talking to them and then the Pharisees in particular, he's saying to them, the kingdom of God is drawing near and you're not going to see it in a nation. You're not going to see it in an army. You're not going to see it in an institution. You're going to see it in a group of people that are living according to the will and the ways of the father together. And that's where you'll find my kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you, your citizens of a new way. And let me just put this. This hit me this morning. And so I added it to my notes after it all been established for all of this. And you might I'll say it twice. You might want to write it down. It is not our job to change the world, but it is our job to live as changed people in the world. All right. I want you to hear this. It is not our job to change the world. But it is our job to live as changed people in the world. Guys, listen, that's what Jesus meant when he said salt and light. And as a result, there's a chance we can join in God's redemptive work for all of the world. But if it's yours and I's motivation to go out of here and change Baltimore, like what can I do to change Baltimore? No, it's what can we do to live like Jesus that brings change to Baltimore? Because people out there are tired of seeing churches at war with one another. I am so grateful for the friendships that God is bringing to me with pastors in the city that are not in my denominational background. And we're talking about our faith in Jesus Christ and we're seeing oneness and unity come across denominations. And it's a joy to see. Okay, so let me let me end this today because I need to get to the repent and believe. So in Jesus, I want us to get to the point where we are rethinking everything in light of Jesus. The problem is, is that for those of us that are Christians, let me talk to you for a minute. We've stopped considering Jesus in our daily activities. We don't actually wake up in the morning and say, what would Jesus want me to do? Why? Because your parents wore a bracelet that said, what would Jesus do? WWJD, right? And so some of you grew up in that, in that tradition. Some of you are laughing under your mask. I know it. Um, and so now you revolt against that religious practice, but in, in all reality, there is no better thing to wake up in the morning to than to say, Lord, your will, your way in my life today, I submit it all to you. There would be so much different in our world today if Christians lived this way. 
And so we need to learn to rethink everything about Jesus. And for those of you that don't believe, I want you to learn to rethink everything about Jesus. So in Mark 15, when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, the word repent and believe are strategic. Because when we repent, you and I are saying to Jesus, I need a total rethinking. Everything about the way that I move and I breathe is out of sync. I repent. I am rethinking my life in light of you, Jesus. When I see you, I see sin broken me. I am, I am not a selfish human being. I am a selfish human being. I am not generous. I am stingy. I am not a lover of people. I am angry. I, I am not gentle or kind. I am forceful and mean. Like there are so many ways in the light of Jesus that we need to say, because of you, Jesus, I am now think, rethinking everything. And to Jesus, that word is repent. I am saying to Jesus, I am rethinking. I am repenting. And then this word believe is where we really get our word faith. Because this is where I come back to. Jesus is saying, start with me. And so believing is us saying, I, I, I'm going to have, I am going to put my faith in the fact that Jesus is telling me the truth. I'm going to put my faith in the fact. I'm going to put my belief in the fact that Jesus's kingdom is what my soul is longing for. Now, for some of you, this one teaching isn't going to be enough to get you over that threshold. So my request of all of us is, could we stay committed to the five weeks? And if you don't yet have repentance, rethinking in mind, and you're not yet ready to believe, let's find out what's still holding you up then. And we can continue to move forward because there's so much that we need to do together. We need to believe. We need to understand that Jesus is trustworthy. And so my invitation to you today is let's join in the rethinking. Let's put our belief in Christ and let's do that together. And in order for us to do that, those of you that are believers and those of you that don't, don't yet believe, um, let me just say this. When's the last time you actually took time to consider Jesus? Like actually measure his words. Like many of you really did a great job of spending the entire summer reading the Sermon on the Mount often. If not daily, you read it a lot. How are we doing in measuring our lives to the words of Christ? And I want us to continue to live our lives that way. So let me pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that we would align ourselves with you and your spirit and your power. So Lord, thank you for giving us space to rethink, giving us space to grow in our trust. And uh, Lord, we want to be faithful to Christ in everything that we do and say. Father, right now I ask that those that are yet to believe that this would really help them. And for those of us that are Christians, that this series would really help us to, to be comfortable being salt and light in the world and that we wouldn't fall into that denominational belief that we just stay hidden or that we act violently in the world. We want the way of Jesus. We want to know how to seek peace and pursue it. And so, Lord, we love you. And thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.
All right, let's take just a couple of minutes um, to ask some questions before we take the Lord's table. And so if you didn't get a cup on the way in, if maybe we could use this time to pass the cups, um, I definitely need one if somebody could bring me one. Um, I know they're by the doors. Um, So questions about today uh, to get us started. Thank you, Julian. And it's fun. It's going to be interesting to see how our online audience interacts with us because I believe they're on a three-minute delay. (laughs) So there might be something pop up in the chat uh, when we're walking out the door, but we will look at the chat and get back to you um, if you're on a slight delay. Michelle. Uh, Michelle's asking, what's the best way to get to know Jesus apart from Scripture and the Holy Spirit? And I would say there's not. That's, I think, is a straight answer. If it's not through the Holy Spirit and it's not through the revelations of things in Scripture, um, it's going to be really hard. The only other category that I think could be a great source is a believer that's following Jesus that you can follow with them. And so but you can't, we can't ignore scripture and we can't ignore the Holy Spirit and, and find our way in Christ. I, I, I don't believe. Other questions or we'll move on to communion, time of Lord's table. All right, let's do this together. Let's stand to do this together. Hopefully those of you online have had time to go and get um, an, an element, uh, something in the home around you. And if you're like, I don't have bread and juice, you have water or coffee and something. Um, uh, I, I, I don't want this to not be sacred because for those of us that follow after Christ, this is very important. This is a summary of everything Jesus taught. This is a summary of everything Jesus gave. And this is Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. And I think many times in the church, we think that actually putting the bread in their mouth and the juice in our mouth is the doing this. No, he's talking about the bread being broken. Do that. The life being poured out for others. Do that. And this is our remembrance of how we live broken and poured out lives for others. Salt and light. Love and compassion. That's the way Jesus lived. This is what we're doing right now. And so I would encourage you not to let peer pressure overpower you. And if, you, if this is not what you want to do with your life, I would encourage you just to hold on to it. But for those of us that really do want this to be God's will and ways in us, let's do this together. Let's take the wafer out of the bottom of the cup. And I just want to prepare you. Jesus is much sweeter than this. <laughs> this is, this is going to taste terrible. Um, um, but this is remembering that God loved us so much through Jesus Christ that he gave his life for us and his body was broken. And so right now, as a practice, we say this. I say it to you. You say it to somebody. Make eye contact with somebody. We need practice. This needs to roll off our tongue. This is his body broken for you. Yeah, let's do this in remembrance of him. And then carefully remove the top.
have to admit that one wasn't as bad as last week's, so maybe we got a better batch. Um, let's take the cup together and let's hold this up to one another and remember that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And let's do this together. And we as a church join in with the long tradition in churches where at the end of the Lord's table, they came up with ways of really trying to summarize just the mystery of our faith as a, as a way of rallying ourselves together. Um, and so the phrase is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. So let's say that out loud together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. That is powerful truth. And so I just want to thank you guys for being here on this holiday weekend. And some of you, I know that um, there's just a lot happening in our city and in our world. And I don't want us to lose sight of that um, personally. I, we, need to learn, we need to start praying out loud like we were taught just a couple of weeks ago. Because we need to let people know where our hurts and pains are. Um, from Louisiana to Maine, from California to Maryland, from Alaska to Quebec, North America is in turmoil with natural disasters and violence of all kinds. Then we spin the globe. We can't go far before we just begin to see more and more of the troubles in the world. Um, some of us have had friends die of COVID and cancer, and we have friends in cancer treatment and family members in cancer treatment. Some of you are fighting against all forms of loneliness and depression. Like, let's just be honest. We, there, we can find despair and darkness if we are not careful to hold on to the light. We have hope. We have hope in Christ. And so as our benediction, as we go from here today, May we repent and believe. Let's rethink the ways that we think so that we can walk in our faith because the kingdom of God is near.